You know, uh, actually memorizing things in the form of song is one of the most powerful and effective ways to memorize something. So thank you for walking us through that this yeah, morning. All right, perfect. <laughs> hey, when I was in seminary, you'd be surprised how many songs they taught us to learn things. So uh, anyways, if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning, and uh, we're going to be talking about living water. And uh, if, you know, I, I, I've got to be honest with you guys, this is, this is one that I thought, okay, I'm going to do all of John 4 in one sermon, and then I was reading it, I was like, oh no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, we'd be here for a while. And so, uh, this is um, one of my favorite encounters of Jesus. In, in all of the New Testament, this story is one of my favorites. And the reason for that is because you just see the compassion and love that Jesus has. And you have this, this, this woman at the well that reflects us and, and our spiritual condition and where many of us are and how Jesus treated her and loved her and cared for her. And so I'm excited for us to walk through part of this story this morning. Um, and this encounter actually has a lot of similarities to uh, the encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus. When, if you remember back in the beginning of John chapter 3, uh, Jesus is talking to uh, Nicodemus, who was the, the leader of the Pharisees, about what it means to be born again. But yet you have this one dialogue that ends up not changing and transforming Nicodemus. But yet, with this dialogue, you have this woman and many others being changed forever. So if you've got your Bibles, John chapter 4, verses 1-30 through 30 says this, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, had given his sons Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a, Samaritan, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is asking you to give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank for it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with the woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and they were coming to him. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your living water and your living word. God, many of us, either now or at some point in our lives, have been like the Samaritan woman. God, someone who has lived in sin. God, someone who has sought after connection in all the wrong places. God, who has tried to mend the brokenness in our hearts, Father, with things of this world. And Father, nothing satisfies the thirst of our souls. God, nothing on this earth can satisfy a thirst that only you can quench. God, I pray this morning as we study this word, Father, that we look at this interaction between the woman at the well and Jesus. God, that we would see his compassion, his mercy, his grace bestowed on this woman. And God, that we would understand what Jesus meant, God, by offering a living water, one where we will never be thirsty again. God, I pray this morning, for each of us, God, that we would know what it means to have that living water and, God, that that would be a part of our lives. So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your sons. In his name we pray. Amen. So, it's important as we get into this conversation to understand that this, this, this journey wasn't accidental. But Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman was divinely appointed. Because it may seem like, oh, this is a, a, a heavy amount of circumstance that leads Jesus to talking to this particular woman. But a lot of things had to happen for this to occur. For example, on a normal route from Judea to Galilee, Jews would normally go around Samaria. We saw in the text that the Samaritan woman told us that Jews and Samaritans didn't interact with one another. They didn't like each other. Nor would they interact with each other except for what was absolutely necessary. For example, doing business and whatnot. In fact, Jews despised Samaritans so much that they would refuse to go through Samaria to save time on their journey. So basically, it's like this. There's, there's Judea and Galilee, and then there's Samaria in the middle. And if you cut right through, great, you get there a lot faster. But Jews would literally go all the way around Samaria just so they wouldn't have to interact with these people. They would take on additional time just so they could avoid the Samaritans. And remember, this wasn't like rerouting your drive and your daily commute because you don't want to go through a certain intersection or street. For example, I do not like going down MLK uh, during the week and the mornings. I absolutely do everything I can to avoid it. 
So what I do is I take a back road through Prairie Grove, Illinois Chapel, 265, get the interstate, and then I can get to Bentonville. And when I work in Bentonville, I avoid Walton at all costs. <laughs> and I will take whatever route I have to to get away from Walton because it is always crazy busy and there's always wrecks. But this isn't like bypassing MLK or Walton to maybe add on an extra five or ten minutes to your drive to save a headache. This was a significant adding to the journey for people to get to their destination. There had to have been a lot of dislike and a lot of hurt and, and, and anger towards another group of people to really go that far out of your way to avoid them. But that's what they would do. However, what Jesus, is, Jesus and his disciples decide to do is go through Samaria. Now, we don't know whether or not he was in a hurry to get back or not, but regardless of the circumstance, he decided to go through Samaria anyways. This is a destination that he wanted to be at because he had a divine appointment with this woman. And when we look at what's happening, Jesus' disciples go and get food and prepare lodging for Jesus, and that's normal for this kind of relationship. Sometimes you read that in the, Old Te- in the New Testament, you think, okay, well, was Jesus lazy? Could he not have booked his own stuff or got bought his own food or got his own drink? But what they would do is when a rabbi and a disciple had this interaction, this relationship, it was an honor for the disciple to get to go and to do these things for the rabbi. And Jesus honored that relationship really well. And so they went to go and do these things. And we get to see a glimmer of Jesus' humanity. You know, often we forget that Jesus was not only 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And so with being 100% man, he had humanity to him where he would get tired and in this instance jesus was thirsty he wanted something to drink so the samaritan woman comes and gets the well to get water and she gets it at the hottest point of the day and she's by herself so what do we know about this woman what can we learn about her from this text and from the context the first is is that this woman was clearly an outcast in this culture Women at this time would normally go in groups to gather water. They would very rarely be by themselves when they would go and draw water from a well or, 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 or go into the market or anything like that. They would rarely be alone. And normally they would do it early in the morning or later in the evening when it was a lot cooler. Um, but this was at the sixth hour of the day at this point, uh, sometime in the, in the early afternoon at the hottest part of the day uh, in the, this Middle Eastern region. And so you've got you to know this was a very hot part of the day. It's like going to mow your yard at 2 or 3 in the afternoon. It's not a good idea. It's hot, especially when it's over 100 degrees. And so it was the hottest point in the day for her to be drink, drawing water when she knew there would be no one else here at this well. The second thing we know about her is that she was living in sin and brokenness. She had five husbands up to that point, And even now in, in our culture today, that's highly abnormal. But you have to imagine what, the way marriage was treated and what it was like back in this day. This is incredibly abnormal for somebody to have five different husbands and then be living with somebody who's not currently her husband. She was obviously searching for something and she wasn't finding it. And at each of these inroads was coming up brokenness and, and hurt. And then the last thing we know about her is she was a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans only believed that the first five books of the Bible were true, and that's why they worshipped on a mountain rather than in Jerusalem. Samaritans and Jews didn't like each other for that reason. 
And essentially, Samaritans in this day and age were, were technically agnostic in the way that they approached worship and they approached God. And so, you have someone who is an outcast, living in sin and brokenness, and she was a Samaritan. And now we get this interaction with Jesus. And Jesus asks her for a drink of water. Now, this woman is clearly caught off guard. This is something that is incredibly abnormal. Not only if, if, a, if a Jewish man asks a Jewish woman for a, water, a drink of water in this context, culturally, that's, that's strange. But Jesus is asking a Samaritan woman in this context, in that area, for a drink of water. Again, completely and utterly abnormal. Jesus is breaking a huge cultural norm in interacting with her. She's caught off guard. She didn't understand. Why would you, a Jewish man, ask me a drink of water? Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you interact with me? And obviously, it, it, when we get to know her life, if she knew that he was the Messiah, that this interaction would go, I'm not worthy of you. I'm not worthy to be talking to you. Why are you interacting with me? But Jesus still does that. Knowing her sin, knowing her background, knowing who she is, knowing her hurts, knowing her pains, he still asks her for a drink and offers her living water in the same way he does for us. And so this conversation is very similar to that of Nicodemus. where She thinks this is literal. This is when Jesus is asking her, if you, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for living water. And she takes it literally. And then she asks if he's greater than Jacob. Then Jesus answers her this. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what does Jesus mean by this? How can we apply this truth this morning? Well, the first thing is that our souls cannot be satisfied with the physical things of this world. Our souls cannot be fully satisfied with the physical things of this world. There are no amount of money or objects or relationships or things that can truly quench the thirst that resides in each of our souls. If you've ever been incredibly thirsty and, and maybe you were working outside or you were in athletics or whatever the case may be or it was really hot, you, you know what it means to have a, a quench that just seems un, un, unending. So you get a drink of water, you feel refreshed, you feel good, but then later on you need something to drink. It's like that with our own souls. We, we have this brokenness, this inherent emptiness in us, and we constantly try to fill it with things to satisfy our souls. I mean, think about our world, right? Think about the things that we have. We are the richest that we've ever been. We are entertained to no end, right? We, there's not enough time to watch all the great new shows that are coming out and all these streaming services. There's just never enough. There's never enough time. You can never catch up. There's, there's, there's all these things that constantly entertain us to no end. There's literally a giant screen ball thing in Las Vegas that, that shows these four-dimensional movies, and yet for people, it's not enough. They want more. They need more. They crave more. And we're connected more than we've ever been. Right? We have social media, phone, FaceTime, email. We have all these ways to connect online, digitally, but it's never enough. The dissatisfaction of our hearts and of our world are ever more increasing, and it's never enough. We're more connected, we're more wealthy, we're more fed, we're more entertained, but yet we are increasingly dissatisfied, increasingly depressed, increasingly broken, increasingly hungry for something different. 
So let's look at the, the way this conversation goes because this gives us a lot of insight as to what this means. What does this mean when Jesus says that He gives a living water that we would never be thirsty again? Well, we understand that the things of this world never truly satisfy the brokenness within us. It can't. We are designed to, to love and, and crave a relationship with our Creator, to be mended together with Him. Look at verses 15-18 through 18 with me. The woman said to Him, Sir, give me this water so I will never be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. See, the thing is, she wants the water so she no longer has to bear the weight of her actions. See, the reason why she's having to get water in the way she is is because of the life that she's lived. She's had five different husbands. She's a social outcast and cultural outcast in this town. She has to go to the hottest part of the day to get water. She hears that Jesus is offering living water, but the only thing that she's really understanding and hearing is, oh, if you give me living water, then I never have to go to this well again. I never have to bear the shame of my actions, and I can just stay where I'm at in life. I don't have to come out to the hottest part of the day anymore. She's thinking of the physical implications of this living water. But she's missing the point. And then Jesus reveals to her her true need, what he's really referring to with this living water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. Jesus is revealing to her where her need is for living water. Jesus was not revealing to her her sins to make her feel shame or to go, oh, so this is why you're out at the water hole at the hottest part of the day. No, the reason why Jesus was revealing this to her was one, to show his, his divinity, to show that he knows her heart, he knows everything about her even before it was spoken to him, but, but even more importantly, that regardless of her actions, of her sin, that Jesus is still offering her this living water. A water to, to, to help her in her current heart condition, not just to no longer go to a watering hole. See, she had been in marriage after marriage. She is constantly seeking something that she cannot find. She didn't reveal this to Jesus. He already knew, and he knew the need of her heart. He knows her heart, her struggles, her pain, her sin. And he offers her freely living water so that she would never have to seek satisfaction in her current pursuits. How many of us have been this woman? How many of us have tried to fill the brokenness of our hearts with the things of this world? It's never enough. It's never enough. I can't tell you how many people that I've counseled that have constantly tried to fill their lives with things in this world, relationships, money, entertainment. It's never enough. It cannot fully satisfy it may feel good for a season, but it, it, it doesn't heal the brokenness that's inherently in us. We need the living water of Jesus. We are like this woman. Maybe we've not had five marriages, but maybe we've had circumstances in our lives where we've pursued things of this world to fill an emptiness that's in us, and it's never enough. We long to be made right with God. We're thirsty, yet nothing in this world can quench our thirst. Some things may help for a season, but they never truly satisfy. The second thing we can learn from this is Jesus alone gives us a water for our souls that will never leave us thirsty again. Praise God that we're not left in this state of brokenness. Jesus doesn't leave this woman in her brokenness. He doesn't reveal to her her sin and then go, well, you're not worthy of this living water. See ya. 
or I'll get the water myself. What he does is he offers her living water, a water that will never leave someone thirsty again. And again, looking back to the conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus said one must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. They must be changed. They must be transformed. When you become a Christian, there is this alteration that happens to you. And when you believe in Jesus and the Spirit works in your heart, you become a new person. You're completely transformed. Just like you are born again, this living water comes in and washes you, your old self away, and transforms you into someone new and someone different. Someone who is, 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 is no longer thirsty. Whose soul is quenched and longs for the Lord. And it's something that we have to actively pursue and, and seek for God to change old habits in us. But the reality is when we become a Christian, when, when, we, when we know the joy and freedom of, of knowing the Lord deeply, then we are given this living water to where the things of this world never fully satisfy us again. Only Jesus does. This living water that Jesus gives is filled with love, life, joy, and peace. And Jesus tells whoever drinks of this living water will never thirst again. Now, does this mean life will be easy? No. Does this mean that we'll be rich beyond measure? No, this isn't the prosperity gospel. Does this mean that we'll, ever, we'll never suffer or be harmed or be hungry? No. Physically, we're still going to endure the hardship of physical life. I mean, just think about the disciples, right? The disciples... Although they knew the Lord, although they had this living water, they still had circumstances that led to their harm, that led to betrayal, that led to hurt. They still had hard lives. But it wasn't about the life they were living right now. It was about their eternal life, who they got to be with whenever they died. Because listen, we're only here for a season. Most of us were only going to live to be in our 70s, 80s, maybe 90s if we're lucky. But then we go and we, we spend eternity in one or two places. And when it comes to having a relationship with the Lord, it allows us to have eternal life with Him where there's no more suffering, there's no more pain, and we experience everlasting joy. See, Christians now have the opportunity to experience joy, but it is only just amplified all the more when we get to be with Him forever. See, spiritually in our souls, we will have true and ultimate satisfaction in Him. It's like a spring of water that wells up in us and leads us to eternal life. See, this woman longed for relationships and connections, but could never seem to find it. However, in Jesus, she would find true connection and satisfaction. This woman is us. We are like the Samaritan woman. We sin and struggle to fill the brokenness of our soul with the things of this world. Money, relationships, addiction, social media, etc. But these things cannot heal the brokenness in us. Only the living water that Jesus gives us can. So the last thing we have to learn from this passage is that living water makes us brand new. Living water makes us brand new. Have you ever seen those videos of the guys who clean old gross rugs or carpets? Maybe it's just me. I love stuff like that. I love watching like hard detailing videos and these guys that take these rugs that look absolutely horrendous. Like they are just completely pitch black. Like you can't see what the rug was. It just looked like they left it out in the mud and for years and they brought it back in and it's stained beyond measure. But it's super satisfying to watch because what they do is they take all these soaps and 
all these other things, and they, they just work out the dirt and the grime and these rugs and make them brand new, and they're completely transformed. I remember one in particular they got from a, a preschool that had flooded and that they had to abandon the building and did all this construction, and they brought this rug back in, and you couldn't see what it was. And so what they did was they took the soap and they got like the power washer scrubber thing and they got in there. And I mean, it was like a 30 minute long video fast forwarded to go through and, and clean the rug. But at the very end, it was uh, the alphabet and it looked like it had never had a kid spill Kool-Aid on it ever. Like it just looked pristine. But you would have never have known looking at the rug in its current condition. And you would have thought, man, this rug in this, in this condition will never, ever be brought back to restoration. I've watched a ton of those videos and it is completely astounding to see the way that these guys take this rug that's completely unrecognizable, dirty, grimy, disgusting, and turn it into something brand new and restored. Jesus does the same thing to our own hearts. Our hearts are broken. Our hearts are grimy and dirty and muddy. And, and sometimes some of us feel like we are beyond restoration like these rugs. But, but Jesus, with His cleansing water, with His grace and love for us, washes all of that away and makes us a brand new, unrecognizable person. When the woman heard Jesus describe her sin, it shocked her. And then she quickly tried to change the subject of a matter of worship. She said, well, you know, you guys believe this and we believe this. I mean, she's really just trying to change the subject. And since she's a Samaritan, they worship at a different place than the Jews. But then Jesus tells her what's to come. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem you'll worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. He first is telling her the way she worships and her belief are incorrect, but then he begins to talk about the coming hour. This coming hour is the coming of the kingdom of God and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the hour is the events that would lead to salvation through Jesus' death on the cross that completely would transform the way we worship. Now we don't have to go to a temple. They don't go to Jerusalem. Now God Himself, through the Holy Spirit, resides in each and every one of us and the church no longer becomes a building. It's us. It's people. It's those that belong to Him who He's working through. That's why a church building can burn down, but the church still remains. That's why during COVID, people didn't meet, but the church didn't dissolve. The church is still here because the church is not a building. The church is within us. And so what, who's he describing in, in verses 23 and 24? These true worshipers that worship in spirit and truth. Who's he describing? What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? These are people that know the Lord that have been transformed by living water, but what does it mean? What does he mean by worshiping in spirit and truth? Well, the first is it means that our worship comes from our hearts, from the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. When you become a Christian, when you are washed away with the living water, when you have that to quench the thirst of your souls and it changes you, you then begin to worship from your heart. Romans 8.15, For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but instead you've received the spirit of adoption to sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Your heart is completely transformed. You are given a new and restored spirit. And part of this living water has not only been made, to te made us new, but it's with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us that guides us, directs us, teaches us, counsels us, and is with us until 
we pass. To worship in truth is that we seek the truth of God's Word and His wisdom. And when you taste the living water to never thirst again, what you love and worship changes. You no longer love and worship the things of this world when you are transformed. You begin to love the things that God loves. You begin to worship the things that, that are of God and not of this world. But how does this woman's story end? This is my favorite part of the whole passage. And if you got your Bibles, look at this. Verses uh, 25 through 26. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then this is what Jesus says to her. Knowing all that he knows, knowing he's breaking every social norm, every cultural norm in this, knowing everything about her, this is what he says and reveals to her. Jesus said to her, I who, you speak, who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. This is what he's telling this woman. I am the Messiah. And when we look at other interactions that Jesus has had up to this point, this is the first time that we see him very clearly revealing who he is. But who does he choose to reveal this to? Was it to uh, the different Jews and different religious leaders? In a way he did, but not so evidently clear. But he revealed this to a woman who would truly hear it. A Samaritan woman. Someone they really would never expect to, to hear about Jesus or, to, or to even believe in Him. But here He is revealing Himself to this woman. And she believes. She's transformed. And that's what I love about Jesus is Jesus claims that He is the Messiah so clearly, not to just those that would, you would expect for Him to, but rather to someone who's least expected. To someone whose society is cast out. To someone who feels like maybe everyone's given up on her, but Jesus has it. He pursues her, and He loves her, and He does that for each and every one of us. And what does she do? She drops everything she was doing and went and shared about Him. She left the little thing you carry for water right where it was, and went off to tell everybody what just happened. Her response was the exact opposite of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was given truth like this and did nothing with it. This woman at the well went, believed, and shared that truth. Because when you find something that truly satisfies the thirst in your soul, that truly repairs you and brings you into restoration with God, you can't help but share that with others. Why would you not want others to, to know and believe that too? So how do we apply this in our own lives, in our context today? The first is that only Jesus can quench the thirst of our hearts. Maybe you're here this morning and there's things that you're struggling with in your heart. Maybe you're struggling with, with relationships. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. Maybe you're struggling with an identity issue. Whatever the case may be, can I tell you that those things will never satisfy you? No amount of money, no amount of prestige, no amount of relationships will ever satisfy a brokenness within you. If there is brokenness in you, the only thing that will satisfy you is Jesus in a relationship with Him. The second is that no one is too far gone in sin. There is no amount of sin in your life that can keep you from the Father. There is no amount of sin in your life that can keep you from restoration, from knowing the Lord. There is nothing in your life, nothing you've done, nothing you will do that keeps the love of God away from you. 
Then the last thing is that we are to imitate the compassion of Jesus. Jesus had immense compassion for this woman. And if you're a Christian this morning, you proclaim Christ, this is the kind of compassion you are to have towards others. Not discriminatory. Not looking only at having compassion for those who are like you or those who are from the same area you're from or look like you or sound like you or from the same economic background, but rather you are to love people unconditionally. Love the people in the way Jesus did and to see people as the way Jesus did. To have compassion for them. To care for them. So at this time, we're going to have invitation. Jackie's going to come up and lead us in a song. And during this invitation, really the main question I have for you this morning is, do you know this living water? Is your heart satisfied in Him? And if not, I would invite you to ask the Lord to change that in you. To pray to ask God to transform you from the inside out. To, to not allow your, your love and your desire for the things in this world to, to overcome the things that He wants for you and in your own heart. If you're a Christian this morning and you, maybe you're struggling with some things, you're struggling with relationships, you're struggling with addiction, or you're struggling with identity issues, whatever the case may be, my encouragement for you is that you would ask God for help. Ask God for help. Ask Him to, to work in your life, to work in your heart, that He would create a love in you for Himself, for His Word, and for complete satisfaction in Him. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we thank You for this morning. God, we thank You for Your love. God, we thank You that You sent Your Son, Jesus, to restore us to Yourself. God, I pray that if any of us in here are struggling with, with, with things in our hearts, God, that would lead us away from You, God, or, or God, things that just leave us broken, God, I pray that we would be transformed. God, that we would know, God, the ultimate fix for our brokenness. Father, it's not things that we find in this world. It's not programs. It's not, um, God, it's not certain medicines, God, but rather it's, it's you and you alone. Father, for the, the physical issues, there are things that we can do to help. But Father, for our spirit, God, only you and you alone can heal that. And so, God, I pray this morning for anyone in this room, Father, who's, who's hurting, God, who relates to this woman. God, I pray that they would know the living water, God, that you offer them through your son, Jesus. And God, I pray for any of the Christians in this room, God, that we would be reminded of that living water. And God, that we would seek you out for it. And God, that we would regularly rest in you. It's your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.